Let us pray together. Father, you are a good and gracious God, forgiving the sins of your people. You know that we need wisdom, and you provide it in your word. We pray that you would give us that wisdom today, that you would encourage us and equip us, that you would strengthen us for the tasks you've assigned to us. Father, that we might fulfill your will for us, that we might, uh, as your people, uh, build your kingdom uh, by your grace and for your glory. This we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Everybody wants to change the world, but how do we change the world? There was a uh, recent survey uh, that came out in Business Insider that found that the millennial generation is very interested in changing the world. And uh, millennials in this survey ranked the 10 most pressing issues facing us. And what I found interesting is that virtually every single one of these issues they identified is what you might call a global issue. A global issue that could only be solved through massive government intervention of some sort. Not surprisingly, climate change was right at the top of the list of concerns. Uh, other concerns millennials had included things like wars and income inequality, worldwide poverty, uh, lack of access to education. Uh, but we can't really just pick on the millennials in, in, in this way. We've actually had several generations of Americans uh, who have been raised with some kind of helicopter parenting, you might say. Uh, we've got safe spaces at universities where you never have to hear an idea you disagree with. What, what is striking to me about that list that came out in this survey is that not a single one of the issues in the list connected with personal responsibility or personal morality in any kind of way. Uh, think about the things that are under our control, you know, pers- things of, that are matters of personal responsibility and personal control. Things like one's personal finances and debt, or one's sexual ethics, or your bodily disciplines that contribute to health, or things like cultivating good friendships and good family relationships, or cultivating personal virtues like service and resiliency and kindness. None of those things made the list. Instead, it's all these large-scale, societal, global issues that, frankly, none of us can do much of anything about, except maybe protest or complain about them. Uh, These are things we simply can't change. And I think this reinforces the view that has become all too common in our society. It's the view that real problems in the world are not in here, in my own heart. No, the real problems are out there in the world. The real problems are not in here in my heart. They're not my fault. They're out there in the world. They're somebody else's fault. And therefore, I don't really need to solve those problems myself. I don't need to change. I'm fine just the way I am. Instead, I can demand other people change. And other people take responsibility for solving these problems. That's kind of the modern attitude. Now compare that to G.K. Chesterton from about a 100 years ago. Back in his day, early 1900s, uh, the Times newspaper in London asked the public this question, what is wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton answered that question uh, on a letter that he wrote back to to, to the newspaper, and his letter was simply this, Dear sirs, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton said, 
I am. The problems in the world start with me. And in fact, he went on to write a book called What's Wrong with the World? Jordan Peterson has made the same point in our own day. Uh, Peterson has pointed out that it's much easier to virtue signal than it is to actually be virtuous. And one way you can signal virtue today is to champion these globalist causes. Peterson points out it's much easier to appear righteous by supporting certain causes on social media than it is to order our individual lives in a self-disciplined, righteous, and wise way. And so what we end up doing uh, is, 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 is just this. Uh, Peterson says we end up criticizing the world when really we have no business doing so because our own lives are such a mess. Uh, Peterson says, set your own house in perfect order, then you can take on bigger responsibilities that change the world. He says, set your own house in perfect order before you criticize the world. But that's not what people are doing today in general. Instead, we demand that the world change. Instead of changing ourselves, we demand other people change. Instead of seeing our own contribution to the problems, our own fault, uh, we see others being at fault and demand that they do something to solve the problems. The, the result of all of this is that we have a society full of people who are morally reckless, people who are living morally dissolute lives with no self-control, but they think they are righteous because they demand other people fix things like climate change or fix income inequality or build schools for the poor. It's as if people are saying, I demand other people fix the world in the way I think it needs to be fixed. I demand other people do something. And because of the demands I make, I am righteous. That's kind of the attitude people have. Consider it this way. When your life is hard, when things go wrong in your life, Do you say, my life is bad, therefore I need to change? Or do you say, my life is bad, therefore I need society to change? I need you to change. I need everybody else to change. You see the issue there? You see the difference? What is your default when life gets hard? Do you take responsibility for it yourself and seek to fix it yourself? Or do you claim entitlements for yourself and make demands on other people? Do you repent of your own failings, or do you blame others? The real crisis we face in our culture today is a crisis of responsibility. That's what David Bonson has called it. Uh, That's how he has described it, and I believe he's right. We are facing a crisis of responsibility. Those who cannot or will not change themselves have no business trying to change the world. Ask yourself, why don't we have any institutions that work? It seems like every institution in our society is broken. Uh, Government is broken. I think everybody agrees with that. The bureaucracies in the government are broken. Universities are broken. Media and journalism are broken. Family and church, even, are largely broken. Why is that? Well, it's just this. It's because people will not take responsibility for themselves. We have become a nation full of irresponsible people. The book of Proverbs pushes back against this. Because the book of Proverbs shows us we are responsible for our lives. We are responsible for ourselves. The book of Proverbs is all about dominion. 
It's all about man's dominion over the creation. And Proverbs shows us dominion begins with dominion over the self. If you cannot rule yourself, you are not fit to rule anything or anyone else. If you do not change yourself, you can't change the world. You don't even know how the world ought to be changed if you cannot change yourself first. Proverbs is really about how to master yourself because that is the key to everything else. Think about what the book of Proverbs is. It is written as a father's counsel to his son. Actually, we could say a king's counsel to the young prince who is the king in waiting. And it is preparing this prince for rule that's going to be his. But first he has to learn to rule himself. Before he's ready to rule the kingdom, he has to learn to rule himself. Before he can change the world, before he sits on the throne and tells others what to do, he's got to fix himself, he's got to change himself, he's got to get his own life in order. And that's what Proverbs is about. Proverbs is not abstract, it's not theoretical. Proverbs is written for practitioners, it's written for doers, it's written for those who want to take dominion over the world, starting with themselves. That's the message. Proverbs is not a self-help manual. Sometimes it gets reduced to that, but that's not it. The counsel Proverbs gives can only be fulfilled by grace through faith. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it belongs in the Christian scripture for just this reason. The wisdom it points us to is specifically Christian wisdom. And we can only fulfill the directives of Proverbs if we are trusting in Christ and seeking to imitate him because he is wisdom incarnate. But Proverbs shows us how faith in God and how the fear of God get worked out in daily life. See, Solomon in Proverbs would say to us, you know, it's good you want to change the world. It's good you want to rule the world. It's good you want to fix the world. God made man to be a world changer, to transform and glorify the creation. God made man to rule the world. He made men and women to rule the world as kings and queens. This goes back to Genesis chapter 1. God created man, male and female, in his image. And then he blessed them in Genesis 1. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. Rule and subdue the earth. Sometimes we call this the creation mandate. Or it can be called the cultural mandate. Or uh, I really like to call it the dominion mandate. And it really explains the calling of the human race. This is the human mission. This is what we're here to do. What did God put us on this earth to do? To fulfill this mandate. It's got five verbs. Five verbs. Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, rule, subdue. But they really fall into two categories. There are two basic aspects to this mandate. Two pillars to the dominion mandate. First, there's this. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That's one side. Obviously, that's pointing to marriage and family life. And then there is subdue, rule, have dominion. That's the other side, the work and labor side of the demand, of the mandate. So what's it all about? We can say it's these two things, family formation and productive labor. Those are the two sides of the human vocation, family formation and productive labor. This is the mandate. The mandate is to build up households and to ultimately build up a civilization. Not surprisingly then, Proverbs deals with these two things. Again, if you ask, what is Proverbs about? It's really about these two things. A man's wife and a man's work. 
Because those are his two key areas of responsibility. Those are the two areas of life where he must have wisdom. The two key areas where he's got to take responsibility for himself. A man's wife and a man's work. So really, you know, it's interesting to think about this. Proverbs connects with Genesis. Proverbs is grounded in Genesis and it grows out of Genesis. You can almost think of Proverbs as filling in this mandate. What does it mean to live out this mandate? Proverbs shows us. Proverbs gives us the wisdom we need to fulfill the dominion mandate in a fallen world. Proverbs gives us wisdom for living with the grain of creation in accord with our original design found there in Genesis. It's wisdom rooted in the creation. Wisdom that reflects who we are, how God made us, how he made us to live, what he calls us to do. In fact, it's interesting, in Proverbs 3, Proverbs compares wisdom to the tree of life, which, of course, was in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2. Proverbs 3.18, we didn't read it, but their uh, wisdom is compared to the tree of life. Wisdom is a tree of life to all who lay hold of her. You can actually read Proverbs as a meditation on Genesis, especially a meditation on the creation mandate. Proverbs helps us live it out. It's all about living out this dominion mandate. Proverbs gives wisdom to those who want to marry and have children, who want to work the garden and transform it into the garden city. It's wisdom for those who want to turn Eden into the new Jerusalem. It's wisdom for those who want family and civilization. It's wisdom for those who want to build a godly culture. It's wisdom for what we were made to do. Proverbs is wisdom for those who want to be fruitful and multiply. It's wisdom for those who want to rule and subdue and have dominion. Proverbs is for the young man who is like a new Adam, who needs guidance when it comes to his labors and his marriage so he can work faithfully and marry faithfully. One of the ways Proverbs does this is to help the man deal with counterfeits in these areas of marriage and labor. It's warnings about a man who substitutes theft and violence in place of work. In Proverbs 1, Solomon warns the son about joining a bloodthirsty gang of thieves who say, come join with us, we'll get rich through plunder. That kind of violence, that kind of theft is a counterfeit of the true labor a man ought to engage in. It's a kind of counterfeit dominion. It's a counterfeit mission and a counterfeit community. You could say it's a kind of pseudo-dominion. Instead of dishonest gain of that sort... Proverbs trains the young man in the value of work. It shows him the value of diligence. It shows him what a faithful and mature work ethic looks like. Proverbs also has warnings about a man who would take another's wife instead of his own. Warnings about adultery, which counterfeits marriage. In fact, the whole story of Proverbs is really a courtship. It's really a courtship story. It's really a love story. The father is instructing his son to shun the harlot folly, the adulteress, and instead to embrace Lady Wisdom as his bride. And when you get to the end of the book, what do you find? This is what he has done. Proverbs 31, the last chapter in the book, describes the wise and noble wife. He has married Lady Wisdom. And now he will reign as king. She will be his queen. And together... They will be fruitful and multiply. They will rule and subdue the earth together. Together, their dominion will be increased. So the young man is taught to not take the fruit of another man's labor. 
and to not take another man's wife. These things would be the opposite of the dominion mandate. They're a sort of anti-dominion mandate. Those things would further the dominion of sin instead of the dominion of wisdom and righteousness. And what you see is that in Proverbs, the young man is to take responsibility for himself. He's responsible for building his own life. He's responsible for building a certain kind of life. If you're going to fulfill the dominion mandate in wisdom, you must take responsibility for yourself. And one of the things this means, which again Proverbs shows us, is that there are certain patterns that God has built into the world. God's world is not random. There is a kind of moral cause and effect in the universe so that A produces B and C produces D. God has made the world so that actions have consequences and certain forms of life lead to certain results. Walking in a way, Proverbs talks about the two ways. Whichever way you walk in, that will determine your destination. The whole book of Proverbs demonstrates that actions have consequences. This moral cause and effect is woven all throughout the book. And one of the things Proverbs shows us is that wisdom has benefits. Living in accord with God's wisdom brings all kinds of benefits. It leads to blessing. you got all kinds of examples of this in Proverbs. The passage we read this morning from Proverbs 3 shows us this. It's just a list of the benefits that come from living in accord with wisdom. These are the kind of things that will accrue to you if you live a wise life. You'll have security. You'll have sweet sleep. You'll have victory over your enemies. You'll have confidence. Uh, You'll have a blessed dwelling. All those kinds of things. Here are some other examples. If you live wisely in the book of Proverbs, you will be kept uh, from evil, shielded from evil. You will be able to walk securely. You'll be kept safe. Your children will be blessed. Uh, If you live with wisdom, uh, you will have riches and happiness. You will have honor and status in the wider community. These things are promised to the wise. See, actions have consequences. You cannot escape reality. You cannot escape God's reality. God made this universe and he runs this universe a certain way. And wisdom leads to blessing and foolishness leads to destruction. And that's just the way it is. Nothing can change that. Wisdom leads to blessing and foolishness leads to cursing. And in fact, this is a message you find all throughout the scripture. Just to give you another example of this, Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Godliness, what is godliness other than embodied wisdom, wisdom lived out, godliness has value in every way, holding promise for this life and the life to come. Paul says godliness pays dividends, and not just eternal dividends, but even in this life, temporal dividends. Godliness has benefits. Godliness pays. Godliness is good for you. What are those benefits of godliness? Well, again, that's what Proverbs spells out. Proverbs spells out for us the benefits of a godly and wisely ordered life. But again, to embrace these benefits, to live in wisdom, you have to take responsibility for yourself. You have to fulfill the responsibilities God has given to you. The wise man is a responsible man. What does it mean to take responsibility for yourself? Well, it's clear. It's clear in the book of Proverbs. very clear cut. It means you have been assigned a domain. God has given you a realm. He's entrusted a realm to you. Your sphere of influence may be big, may be small, but you have a realm 
where you live, where you work, your family, your friends, all those things that make up your life's vocation. You've been assigned a domain. It's been entrusted to you, and you're called to steward it. You're called to steward it well, to develop it. You're to have dominion over your domain. You are to rule it well and to rule it in wisdom. Think of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 where Jesus tells the story of a master who gives a a different number of talents to uh, his servants and then the master goes away. And when when it comes back, what do we find? Well, he expects to receive a return on his investment when he comes back. And those who do produce a return on the investment, they've made something of their little domain. They've improved and and matured and glorified their little realm God gave them to steward, the master gave them to steward. They get even more. Because they've been faithful in little, now they get much. Because they've been faithful with what was given to them, now they're given even more. God has given you talents. Are you giving him an increase? Are you giving him a return? God has invested in you. What are you giving back to him? Are you becoming better and more mature? Are you putting your domain in order? Stewarding your realm in productive ways? In short, is the world a better place because you're here? Are you a blessing to others? Are you glorifying and beautifying the world around you? If you fulfill your personal responsibilities, the world at large will be better for it. That's what Proverbs shows us. Are you taking those talents God has given to you, that that domain, that realm he's entrusted to you, and doing something productive with it? Again, the one thing Proverbs makes clear is that you are responsible for yourself. At the heart of wisdom is taking ownership of yourself and your actions. We live, you know, that may seem common sense to you, but we live in such an irresponsible age We live in an age where men shirk their responsibilities so routinely and blame others for what has gone wrong. This is revolutionary. At the heart of wisdom is taking responsibility for yourself. We were made to take dominion. We were made to take dominion over the world, but first we have to take dominion over ourselves. We were made to change the world, but first we've got to change ourselves. You know what all this means? It means you are the main source of your problems. Think about that for just a minute. Sort of catalog the problems in your life, whatever they are. You are the main source of your problems. If you're going to fix the world, you need to fix yourself first. But that means recognizing what is broken in your life and how you contributed to its brokenness. You cannot simply think of yourself as a victim. You cannot think of yourself primarily as a victim. Even if all kinds of bad things have happened to you outside of your control, you've got to reject the victim mindset that is so prevalent in our culture because that victim mentality, it's a killer. The victim mentality makes you passive. It makes you full of self-pity. It makes you irresponsible. It actually leads you to justify sins you use that, that, that victimhood to justify sins that will actually make your situation worse. Now, real victims, there are real victims, and real victims do need help from others. We always need to rally around real victims of some tragedy or injustice, no question. But we live in a culture that is privileged victimhood, that subsidizes victimhood, 
And so, of course, what do we get? More and more people claiming to be victims. There are a whole lot of people in our culture who think they are victims of others when really they're just victims of their own bad decisions. And they're seeking to blame others as a way of escaping the consequences of their actions so they don't have to take responsibility for the mess they've made. You know, there are some people out there who think it's always somebody else's fault. They think all their problems are other people's faults and fault. And so you start to talk to them and, 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 and this comes out. Their financial woes, say massive debt, or their loneliness, whatever kind of messes they have in their lives, they are sure it's not their fault. And they will make excuses for themselves and they will blame others. Proverbs says that is foolishness. They will blame their parents or society or their spouse or the government. They will find some scapegoat to blame. And that is folly. And it's folly because it keeps the problems from ever getting solved. You cannot solve a problem like this when you're blaming somebody else for it. The only way you can solve your problems is if you take responsibility for them. Own the problem, then you can begin to fix it. Blaming others prevents you from making progress. And so Proverbs again and again stresses personal responsibility. Because that's the only way you can grow. It's the only way you can go forward. The wise man will embrace personal responsibility as painful as that may be. He will take ownership. He will say, yes, that mess in my life, I made it. And now by the grace of God, I'm going to try to clean it up. I broke it, and by the grace of God, I'm going to seek to fix it. The fool looks for others to blame when things go wrong in his life. See, according to the book of Proverbs, the state of your life is a manifestation of the state of your soul. The outside reflects the inside. How you live your life, how you live and act flows out of your heart. And if you have wisdom, it's going to show. And if you're a fool, it's going to show. But one of the ways that wisdom manifests itself in our lives is by a deep sense of responsibility. It's one of the things that separates the wise from the fool in the book of Proverbs. So again, how do you interpret your life? Do you see your own role in what's gone wrong? Even if you are a victim of some terrible tragedy or some terrible injustice, do you see how your response can either make a bad situation worse or can lead to overcoming and growing through those difficult circumstances. There's no situation that's so bad that it cannot be made worse. So when something terrible happens that really is outside of your control, how do you respond to it? Does your response make it even worse? Or does your response create a pathway forward? through the adversity, so now you can grow and mature. By the grace of God, you can fix a lot of things that have gone wrong in your life if and only if you are willing to take responsibility for yourself. Now, wisdom does not mean life will be problem-free or easy. Uh, Sometimes people misread Proverbs at just this point. Wisdom does not eliminate all hardship from our lives. Wisdom is not magic. Proverbs does not teach a form of the prosperity gospel where things always and only go well for the godly. Proverbs touts the benefits of wisdom. 
Proverbs really sells wisdom to us. It, it, it really shows us the, the, the glories and the benefits of wisdom. And it does so often by appealing to our innate desire for success and for prosperity. Because those desires aren't bad. They're part of that original dominion mandate. They can get twisted for sure. But those desires for success, for prosperity... Uh, to have a, a, a glorious family life, to, to see your children's children, uh, all those kinds of things. Wisdom touts those benefits, the benefits of a wise life, and wanting those kind of things is not wrong. Proverbs 3 shows us that. Proverbs will not appeal to these desires if there is something wrong about these desires. But Proverbs also reminds us just how complex and mysterious life really is. What an odd place the world is. In fact, sometimes I think we have a tendency to think of wisdom as the solution to life's riddles. Like life presents all these problems and wisdom is just an answer key. Like you can go to the back of the math book and, and get the answer and that's what wisdom is. That's really not what wisdom is. Wisdom is actually the skill of being able to live without answers. It's being able to live without solving all the riddles of life. Wisdom doesn't give us control over life's circumstance. It doesn't even give us control over life's outcomes. Think about this. The whole reason that the young man in chapter 1 is tempted to join the bloodthirsty gang is that it really does work. A lot of times gangs do get plunder. It works at least for a time. And so wisdom knows we have to look beyond present circumstances and judge everything by the standard of God's word. You simply cannot look at someone's outward prosperity and know whether or not there's wisdom there or somebody's troubles if they've got a very difficult life and, oh, well, therefore you must be a fool. No, it's, it's more complicated than that. Sometimes God's purpose in our life is to discipline us like sons, which means putting us through hardship and adversity all in order to purify us. In fact, earlier in Proverbs chapter 3, talks about this, that God disciplines the sons that he loves. Sometimes God puts us through horrific adversity to strengthen us, to mature us. Trials can help us grow in wisdom if we respond to them faithfully. Proverbs again and again acknowledges life's messiness. Just to give you an example, Proverbs 28.6, Better a poor man with integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Sometimes the wise man, the man with integrity, is poor. And sometimes the, the, the crooked man is the one who gets rich. That's not what Proverbs says in other places, but it does acknowledge that reality. Proverbs 28.11, a rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes the rich man is haughty and prideful. And the poor man is, is, is genuinely humble. And you think, well, why doesn't God swap their outward circumstances? Well, life is messy. Wisdom does not always lead to wealth. Even though Proverbs connects wisdom to wealth, it doesn't always lead straight to wealth. Wisdom knows that wealth is not the greatest blessing anyway. Wisdom knows there are greater things, better things to have than wealth. Wisdom acknowledges, yes, there are moral patterns. So all things being equal, righteousness produces greater prosperity than than wickedness. But of course, all things are not always equal. So wisdom does not guarantee any results in this life, certainly not any immediate results. But whether wisdom produces prosperity for you or not, it is of great value. And this is what we need to understand. In the end, 
It is your decisions, not your circumstances, that will make you or break you. It is the way you live your life that determines your final destination. That's what Proverbs shows us again and again. Your outward circumstances may or may not be what you hoped for or what you expected. And living wisdom doesn't guarantee you're going to get immediate results. It doesn't work that way. Life is messy. But know that wisdom still has value. And in the end, it's not those circumstances but your decisions that matter most. Taking responsibility for yourself means growing by grace to maturity. That's the goal of the book of Proverbs, that the prince would become a king, that the son would become a man. Really, we could say that the, that the boy might become a man, that the son might become a father. That's the goal. That's the trajectory. That's the arc of the book of Proverbs. And that should be the case in our lives as well, that we would be growing towards maturity by the grace of God. It means being like Jesus. The Bible describes Jesus in Luke chapter 2 as growing in grace and stature. Uh, Hebrews 5 describes Jesus growing to maturity through the things he suffered. Jesus even learning obedience, though he was obviously sinless. This is the key to dominion, this kind of maturity. People who shirk responsibility cannot have dominion. They continually sabotage themselves. Weak, undisciplined people cannot take dominion. Instead of taking dominion over the creation, sin increases its dominion over them. Dominion belongs to the disciplined. Dominion belongs to the wise. Only the disciplined man experiences freedom. Only the self-controlled man can really experience freedom. Discipline is freedom. And of course, discipline is mostly a matter of habit. And that's why Proverbs stresses so much the need to develop good habits. Again, this is one way of looking at what the whole book is about. It's about our habits. The virtuous life is simply a life characterized by righteous habits, by virtuous habits. Again, our passage in Proverbs 3 shows this. It describes keeping sound wisdom. That is, wisdom as a way of life and discretion. Having discretion as a life pattern. It talks about walking in wisdom. Well, your walk is just your way of life. It talks about doing good to your neighbor as a way of life. All of these are habits. Blaise Pascal, the great Christian philosopher, once said, A man's virtue should be measured not by occasional exertions, but by his ordinary doing." You want to know what level of wisdom you are at? What does your daily life look like? Are you faithful in the little things in daily life? Being faithful in those little things in daily life, that's what changes you over time, and that's what will ultimately change the world. You are what you do. What you are, what you do is what you become. You are what you do. What you are is what you become. You are what you do, and what you do will change the world for better or for worse. Again, everybody wants to change the world. And that desire to make your mark, to be a world changer, that's a good desire. It's built into our DNA as humans. We were given this dominion mandate in the beginning. It's right at the heart of who we are. Everybody wants to change the world. But to do so in the right kind of way, you got to change yourself first. So train yourself in wisdom. 
Train yourself in godliness. Train yourself in righteousness. Learning righteousness, learning godliness, learning wisdom, really in a lot of ways it's like learning any other skill, like how to drive a car or play a musical instrument. The way to transform the world is to transform yourself. The mandate to take dominion starts with a mandate to take dominion over yourself. That is the way of wisdom. That is the way of transformation. Take responsibility for yourself. Own up to your failings and and shortcomings, to the messes you've made. By the grace of God, improve yourself. Grow your skills. Grow in diligence and discipline. Rule your realm well. And recognize if you can't take responsibility for yourself, there's no way you can take responsibility for anyone else. There's no way you can take responsibility for the world. Wendell Berry once wrote an essay entitled, Think Little. That kind of sums it up, Think Little. But listen to what he says. Meshes so well with this message from Proverbs. A man who is willing to undertake the discipline and difficulty of mending his own ways is worth more than a hundred who are insisting merely that the government and the industries mend their ways. A couple who make a good marriage and raise healthy, morally competent children are serving the world's future more directly and surely than any political leader, though they never utter a public word. That's right. The man who demands others mend their ways instead of mending his own, he's no good. He's useless. A man who builds his little kingdom, his little empire, with a wife and with his kids, and who trains his kids in righteousness and wisdom so they can become the same kind of people. That is somebody who is changing the world. God wants to make you into the best version of yourself. God wants to enlarge your domain, the realm over which you rule. He wants to extend your dominion. But for those things to happen, you have to show you are a good steward of what you've already been given. Grow in wisdom, and you'll grow to maturity. Grow in wisdom, and you'll grow in dominion. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.